Hello, everybody. This is Christian Thwaites of Brian Janikowski. Welcome to our monthly update. I'm joined by Rita Lee. Hello. Good afternoon, everyone. And we're going to take you through our, our market update as well as our um, some of our outlook for 2020. We did put our 2020 outlook in a little bit more detail, both in the uh, quarterly statements that have just gone out and in the blog just before the holidays. So if I don't cover them all here, there's plenty of places where you can find them. So um, let's just dig right in. So we've had a very good January so far. S&P is up 3% after a scorching 2019, where it was up 28, 29%. Uh, emerging markets been a little bit behind that, up 2.8%. I believe, Rita, that's mostly China and Korea, which have done well. Well, primarily after the trade truce, which we'll talk about. The trade truce, yes. So, <laughs> so finally, that, that was a bit of an overhang for both those countries, of course. Uh, but um, let's come back, especially on, on China. Um, international markets, other than emerging markets, you know, a little bit flat. Again, they had a good 2019, not as good as the S&P, but a better fourth quarter than the S&P. Um, and they've taken a little bit of a break. And then the all-important 10-year Treasury is lower today, 1.7%. Uh, it's really been moving between about 1.65, 1.7, and 1.8 on the upside. It doesn't seem to be able to get out of its 200-day uh, trading trading average, which is a good thing because the 10-year Treasury is the ultimate bellwether um, uh, in investment, and uh, so we're looking at that very, very closely. So let's just start off with the market. Uh, can we go to the market value one? Um, do I have that one up there? Uh, no, it's actually the first one that we had. That's the first one? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the first one. Um, so uh, this one's showing the uh, just, just how low, there we go, that's the one I wanted. So here's just how big the S&P has got. We're up to about $25 trillion on the S&P. And I put this, in, this measure up, there's lots of ways to measure the stock market. None of them are infallible. Lots of them have you know, false signals. Really, it's a question of putting a lot of them together and kind of seeing what situations we are. But this is one, I picked this one because it's actually used by Warren Buffett and uh, it's, it's been quoted quite a bit before. But all it, all it does is just take the market value of the S&P and divide it by the nominal uh, value of the GDP. So you can see that we're uh, certainly climbed up. That's that orange line 1.15 times. So it, it's been higher, it was higher before the crash. Not that we want to bring that back to memory, but. Uh, uh, but it's, it's, it's a kind of at a cyclical peak right now. Um, so that's one measure where the market seems to be a bit overvalued. And it's very difficult right now to find any single metric which will tell you the market is undervalued unless you really torture the data uh, you know, until it, it, it screams at you. But, but this is one where uh, I'm not particularly concerned about this one. I, I think it's a rather strange way. People, a lot of people use it, but the market value of the S&P 500 is the market value of, you know, of a lot of large companies. Uh, a lot of whom get their sales from overseas, um, whereas the, the US GDP is, uh, does not include sales of companies overseas. So it's it just an idea of, uh, of are, we, are we ahead of ourselves too much or not? And I, I think that I, I use this one as, as every, as a, I place all the form as every metric on the market right now, which is that we're not, we're not too far ahead of ourselves. The next one uh, just shows how, um, how low yields are. So there's the 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 10-year Treasury <clears throat> benchmark bond. 
down about 1.79%, and the dividend yield on the S&P, which is about 1.9%. So you sort of add those together to get an idea of what sort of returns we can get from capital markets. And obviously, we're at very low levels, 3.7%. It's been that low a couple of times before when, when interest rates were very low in 2012 and 2016. Uh, interest rates are still low and it has come down uh, quite a bit. But you've got to remember also that inflation is very low. So uh, let's look at the next slide. Um, actually, before we go to that, I just want to show one of the discrepancies. I put this in the chart in the blog last week, but it's an interesting description of how the stock market is not the economy. So a lot of people, a lot of our clients have said, well, how come the stock market is doing well? The economy is slowing down. It's done so much better than uh, corporate earnings as a whole. <clears throat> In the general economy, and, uh, and 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 things just shouldn't be that good. Well, here's here's an example why. So on on this, we just picked out J.P. Morgan, but it could be any one of about 150 S&P companies, and we took the reported earnings of the company, which we indexed from um, to about a, back to about 150 in 2011, and are now about 257, so up about 150 percent. And then we took earnings per share, which is the blue line, which is up well over twice that. And the simple answer is, is because the bottom line shows that JP Morgan's been buying its shares back like crazy. It's just reduced its share count by about 20%. 10% of that's the last couple of years. So um, you get this discrepancy where corporate earnings as reported are not doing terribly well. They might be up, you know, five, 6%, but company earnings per share can be up way higher of that. And this is how they do it. They, they essentially change the uh, denominator by, by reducing the number of share counts. Uh, so but that's why we've seen such a good um, performance of the stock market where companies have been buying their shares back at a rate of about two to 3% a year. Okay, next one, thank you. Um, so let's kind of dive into the, the economy right now. This was a big indicator. Our basic thesis is the economy is just slowing down. It's come from this rate you talked about before, of well over 3% when the tax cuts came through at the beginning of 2017. Um, and then it's just been 2018, it's just been kind of slowing ever since. And going back to its probably sustainable long-term rate of about 2%. And then uh, it's really been held up by the consumer. And here's a very good indicator of what the consumer is doing. Um, it's just, it's the blue bar line at the top. It's showing roughly that Retail sales, total retail sales are about up 0.3% month on month. So you know, multiply that 12 by 12 to get a rough number of what it is on the 12 side. Um, and it's really just not doing anything spectacular. You can see that big spike that it had about nine, 10 months ago when people felt a little bit more flush after the first full year of tax cuts came through. Um, but uh, you know, since then, you know, retail sales an indicator of consumer confidence have come off quite a bit but not enough to put the economy into the recession. We're gonna keep on saying that this economy is slowing, it's slowing in a lot of critical areas, but it's probably not gonna go into recession. There's no kind of early recession indicators that we see of. So that's retail sales. The next one is it's a couple of slides on inflation. So the one to look at here is the difference between the headline inflation and the core inflation. As we mentioned in our blog, neither of these inflation measures are followed by the Fed. They follow another one, which we'll talk about in a minute. But if you're feeling 
that you kind of go around your daily business that headline inflation is relatively strong. You're not mistaken. It's about 2.3%. Uh, but the core CPI, which takes out the, uh, the gasoline and energy and some other uh, prices, um, you know, is, 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 is quite a bit less than that, 2.25%. And some of that is reflecting lower, lower prices in the shelter index up at the top. Uh, but also reflecting high gas prices. But so our point here is that the, you know, inflation is non non-existent from a, from a retail point of view, but it's much, much lower from a policy point of view. And so the next one. Um, and this is another one that we like to look at. This is it's a great slide. I love this title, Atlanta Fed Sticky Price. So what they do is they look at various components of the inflation, some which move very quickly and some which move very slowly. So the, examples at one end is that your gas prices move very quickly. There's a squeeze on refinering or spot prices go up. Your local Exxon or Shell station is going to reflect those prices pretty quickly. In fact, on average, they change the prices about every two weeks. And then there's other things where it takes a long time to change the prices because it's it's just a, it's just a lot of work. So if for a restaurant to reprint its menus, it's, it's a bit of a pain. So they wait until prices settle down and they change their, their prices, you know, maybe once or twice a year. And then at the other extreme, if you've been to a coin operated car wash recently, you probably noticed that they haven't changed their prices in a very long time because they have to reprogram the coin operated slot machines. Same with wash, uh, you know, washer dryer machines. So these are some areas where they might only change the prices about three or four times uh, every, uh, well, sorry, once every three or four years. So again, we got two examples here where Inflation is kind of edging up a little bit, but the flexible price inflation is, is extremely muted. And our last slide on inflation just shows the various different, various different uh, inflation uh, measures. These are all the inflation measures you ever need to know. Um, but the important ones are the bottom ones in the blue, which is the, 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 the personal consumption inflation measures. That's the ones the Fed measure, and it's the core one, ex food and energy. And, and, uh, and the regular one. And you can see they're trailing the headline CPI by about 75 basis points. The remarkable point about this, inflation has been pretty much on a, on a level, straight level PCE for the last 20 years. And it's very difficult to see inflation breaking out. There's a lot of people who'd like to see it break out. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of people, you know, urging investors to buy gold because they think it's going to break out. But really, you know, it's very, very difficult to see that there's any kind of meaningful uh, um, you know, break out in, in inflation at all. So uh, that that's our kind of view that inflation will stay pretty pretty muted. Okay, next one. <clears throat> and this is one of the reasons why. Um, here's the earnings, uh, hourly earnings. Now, um, hourly earnings in the blue line are up about three percent, but hourly earnings, the top one, ten dollars and ninety six cents, is pretty flat. It looks like it's grown a bit, but if you look at the slide on the left hand side, it's uh, the scale. It's gone from $10.40 to $10.96, um, so 50 cents in real terms, you know, in, in about six years. The short, and then the black line is the year-over-year -year change in real terms. So, you know, uh, earnings are barely, barely keeping up with inflation. Um, and that's the major story. And this is hourly earnings, which is one level. And the other thing you look at is, is uh, weekly earnings. So hourly earnings might go up, but but the number of hours that people work can go down. And in fact, they have. So, uh, so hourly earnings are even a little bit more uh, disappointing. In fact, the next slide shows this. 
Um, this is our last slide here, so I, if you're getting a bit blurry on the slides, I apologize. But uh, you can see that bottom one is 0 0.1, and that's real average weekly earnings of private employees. And there you go, zero, down 0 0.1%. So, uh, you know, wages just aren't simply moving. Uh, there is some margin compression that companies have, but it's not by increasing wages. It might be increasing some benefits, but it's more of, a, more of it's a margin squeeze on the, on the supply side due to the trade problems. So inflation is, is really not an issue. And that's one of our big thesis where we, where we, we don't see that kind of breaking out, even as we're seeing a, a slower economy. And just briefly on the economy, just uh, um, look, it's I kind of divide into what's doing really well, what's doing kind of meh, okay, and what's doing not well. And so what's doing really well is housing. That's a typical uh, lagging indicator as interest rates go down, which they did in 2019. Housing then begins to pick up. Housing starts, spike goes a weird, very big number in last month. I don't think that's sustainable. But anyway, they're going from about 1.3 uh, a million starts uh, annualized to about 1.6, but, but they're, they're, sort of, they're about 1.4 million, I think, in the underlying trade. That's going really well. Retail and the consumer are kind of going okay, which we've already discussed. And the, and the areas which are, which, are, which are pretty weak is anything to do with trade, whether it's import or exports. You can pretty much thank the uh, trade uh, policy for that. Uh, anything to do with investment, um, especially big gross capital investment or, um, or non-residential fixed investment, business investment. So those have been the kind of weak, weaker sides of the economy. But as we, as we said earlier, we kind of expect the economy to come into about a 2% range. So very quickly on US stocks, we're kind of okay where we are. Where we are. The stocks are not, are not cheap by any historical standards, but nor are they overly expensive. We see you know, bonds continuing to do what they're doing because primarily because the Fed's very much very much on hold. Um, overseas, things take uh, a slightly different picture, and there's, there's certainly some catch up, uh, both with Europe uh, and, and emerging markets. And, um, and Rita, maybe you'd like to. Yeah, so Europe is finally um, turning the corner um, with some of the uncertainties um, away, dealt away, Brexit um, finally uh, coming to some type of uh, certainty. Uh, trade wars also with the, you know, the US, with China, with Europe, with Germany, with France, um, all coming to some type of clarity. Um, and uh, some of the European elections have been gone. So part of it is catching up, as Christian said. Uh, part of it is uh, Europe finally um, you know, having some type of uh, monetary stimulus as well as potentially fiscal st stimulus. Um, so we're, we're watching keenly on that front. On the emerging market side, a lot of people have been saying that emerging markets next year should be much stronger. Uh, we agree that it should be stronger now that some of the clarity has um, come. Um, but there are certain things that we are still concerned about. Um, you know, China has a number of, um, you know, internal issues, uh, despite having phase one. Uh, signed, um, we think that there will be other types of trade tensions um, just persisting. Um, and uh, China also have a lot of uh, inflation last year, uh, as opposed to us having not next to none. So uh, that 
wage growth also has been a, an issue within China. So all these things will be a little bit of headwinds to them. Um, and uh, the fact with the trade one, at the phase one uh, trade deal, uh, the China agrees to buy more manufacturing goods, agricultural goods, and, and all kinds of things from uh, the U.S., which means they will be buying less from their neighboring countries. And those will be Vietnam, those will be Indonesia, Malaysia, Taiwan, even uh, Brazil. So that all those you can hear uh, are emerging markets. So sometimes, sometimes, some, sometime, some things will come out from them, uh, from those countries, and um, come to the U.S. if this deal will uh, mature, uh, materialize. I think that's a really important point because I mean, the, the, trade wars usually end up being a zero-sum game. So if, trade, if China's committed to buying another many, however many billions they've committed to with agricultural products, more industrial products, they're going to stop buying from somewhere else. And as we said, Brazil is going to be really- Brazil is going to be, and some of them, the other countries uh, providing the electronics probably yeah. will be hurt. Uh, some of the other countries providing the machinery, yep. parts of it probably will be hurt. And I think we've also discussed internally about these, uh, these su supply chains, where I think a lot of companies, US companies have started to move those from China to elsewhere. And we'll see that most, emerge in the next year or two. Right. Some of them have moved already. And I think it's hard, as we've talked about, it's hard to move back and forth. So once you've built a plant over there, you will continue to produce over there. So um, so the, the, we see China probably having a bit more clarity this year, but um, you know, a lot of headwinds. Good. Well, thank you very much. So we'll, we'll just put our big three uh, points out there, uh, mention the Fed. We really hope the Fed is, is, is really not much of a headline grabber this year. They don't want to be, and I think they made it very clear that they want to be, uh, they want to ease until they see some big numbers which will push them to either cutting further, unlikely, although that's what the common consensus is, or, or hiking, which they probably won't do prior to uh, the election. Stocks, um, we did mention quickly that earnings uh, are down in the S&P, primarily because of the big weighting of energy sectors and stocks. But we expect that to end uh, in, in in 2020, which actually be a, a better year for overall stock earnings. Uh, and then sort of, you know, better on the emerging markets and international, which have just been under such a cloud. They did have a good rebound, the terrible 2018, much better 2019, although not much better as well as the S&P, but strong double digit returns. Uh, and they're probably going to be relatively better. So. Uh, so we're sitting in a pretty good place. Yeah. So um, given given this outlook, um, some of the tactical alloc asset allocation changes that we're making um, will include <clears throat> slightly, uh, you know, having a slight overweight in the U.S. primarily because we still think that we have the stronger economy. Um, we are happy with where we are in terms of inter international and emerging markets. Um, it's, we are at the lower end of our range, but we're happy where we on are. On international? On international. Very much so, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, with, with bonds, uh, we're not expecting another 12% year, right, Christian? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we still favor high quality, for sure. Yeah. Um, we, we are also um, looking into the, our treasury holdings, um, making modest changes there. Uh, we still like our short end holding, the floaters, as well as the two-year Treasury, we think that's a really good value compared to, I don't know, five year, yeah, even 10 year. It's pretty flat. The yield curve has been pretty flat, flat 
Um, what else have I missed? We've got a couple of questions up here. Uh, one, which is, are we adjusting our asset allocation given the potential EU and EM catch up? Um, we've got a pretty good weighting in EU and international, uh, you know, in all stock portfolios, probably uh, 18, 20%. It's lower than a lot of people, but that's been right for most of the last five years. Um, there isn't, I think the EM is pretty well uh, priced at this point, and you've, you've got a very heavy weighting in China, and China still, you know, manipulates its stock market uh, in a way makes it very unpredictable at times. And the EU is cheap, but it's kind of cheap for a reason. Um, so we don't really want to uh, see that increase. I think, you know, 18, 20% seems to be a perfectly reasonable weighting given the outlooks. And are there any industries where wage growth is doing uh, much better or worse than us? Probably not. Um, I think what you're seeing is, is more non-wage benefits growth. People are trading in um, higher healthcare costs, um, which the employers are picking up than they are. That's exactly, that's yeah. exactly what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if someone said, you know, don't let your kids grow up to be, I'm not quite sure what the answer is anymore, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, tech has seen a squeeze um, and uh, banking and finance has been going on for a number of years. And uh, yeah, there. Are, I mean, I could maybe think of some minor uh, industries where where wages are strong, and that probably just reflects a shortage in in, mm. in skilled labour, um, probably yeah. short term. Yeah. So uh, no. If you want to move to uh, Iowa or you know <laughs> where oil oil fields are being <laughs> dug. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, know. Anyway, so wage growth isn't isn't really moving uh, very much. Good. So um, I don't know if there are any. Uh, we open the open the uh, lines. So anybody has a um, a question, the lines are open now. Just feel free to speak. I'll stay quiet for a second. Uh, are the lines open at this point? Okay, good. Um, what impact do you expect the elections to have on the markets and the economy? Um, that's always a tricky one. That's one of, um, that, that's one of these un unknowns where markets very, very badly with with elections and uh, and um, and. And trying to guess what 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 the ramifications are. I remember when the last election came up. You know, we did a lot of analysis of what it meant for a Trump uh, victory versus a Clinton one, and we got some of it right, but it's very difficult to get that right. I think you know the simple answer is if if the Democrats uh, you know seem to be pulling ahead and they stick with this um, with the healthcare, then that would probably continue to impact healthcare stocks, uh, but. That's really the story in 2019. I think some of them have recovered from that and probably, you know, you know, thinking if that does happen, then they can probably live with it. Um, I mean, the obvious ones, if Democrats do that, then defense might go down a bit. Um, but, and, and healthcare, as I said, might, ha might ha have an impact. But on the trade side, really don't see any changes. Both, both parties seem to be more willing to enter into kind of managed trade era, uh, they're just going about it different ways. So um, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see uh, what, what the election does and there'll be lots of ups and downs as one
pulls ahead of the other and then back again. Normally, an election year is not a great year in the market, um, but <laughs> but uh, well, but, I, but but not great can mean flat. Yeah, and certain and having more certainty, I think, um, will help with investments. The capex have been lagging for a while, uh, a couple of years already. So eventually, some 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 certainty will be able to uh, promote some of that. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Uh, we're going to put this up on the uh, on the web as a as a recording, a podcast. Do please check us out in wherever you get your podcasts from, Apple. Um, so it, Brown Janikowski will come right up, and where you, know, you, you can get our uh, get our recordings there. And again, any kind of questions, feel free to call us on anything or check out our website, bnjadvisors.com. There's plenty of information there on the uh, on on the investment uh, side and questions you have okay and now i'm going to read the disclosure so here's the disclosure coming disclosure is coming right now i'm going to start the disclosure right now here's the disclosure please note the information provided in this presentation is for general information purposes only it should not be considered individualized recommendation or personalized investment advice investment strategy discussed in this presentation may not be suitable for everyone each investor needs to review an investment strategy for his or own particular situation before making an investment decision or expression of opinions are subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting markets or economic conditions. Past performance, no guarantee of future results. The opinions presented cannot be viewed as an indicator of future performance. 